You've read the books. You've learned the rules. You've played the games. And so is your mom. Just making sure you're paying attention. Now, it's time for something completely off base. From the same guys who haven't done anything exciting yet are the Paladins of Podcast, Rob and Potato. Listen in as they talk about all things related to pen and paper games, challenge rules, and go off script. This is the high fantasy commentary you didn't ask for, but your mom did. (laughs) This is the Epic Table Audio Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Epic Table Games Audio Show with your paladins of podcast. Potato. What's up, Rob? Not too much, Potato. How are you doing today? I'm doing swell this early morning. Cold and Dude, frigid. It is. Oh my god. I don't know why we do this so early. But <clears throat> anyhow, before we get too far into this, I'm gonna kind of surprise you with it. I know that I've been tracking our listener metrics a little bit. And while we don't have a huge audience, I wanted to at least say thank you for those do listen whether it's one episode or every episode it's just kind of fun to know that these individuals are out there yeah that's awesome and i really appreciate you guys absolutely so it means it means a lot to us and it's one of those things that helps us keep going because hopefully you're talking to people uh trying to get them interested as much as we are so you guys are really integral even if we don't know each other face to face it's important to both potato and i that's right. That's right. We really want to establish this community and have a lot of fun doing it at the same time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and one thing, Potato, that I have noticed and I'm actively trying to change up is I talk really fast and I don't mean to. It's just natural for me to just spit fire a million things at one time. Yeah. <laughs> and... uh it's, it's funny because I realize it in a lot of our, our games that we play. We have two players that don't quite catch exactly what I'm saying because um, even though I enunciate decently, things are coming across too quickly. And I realized only recently this, that, damn, probably doing that in the audio show too. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying to bring that back down. I, I want to talk at a pace that's, that's comfortable to listen to, comfortable speaking, etc. Um, same same so, here. When we first started, I was very self-conscious. Like, I need to slow down. I need to make sure I don't talk too fast because I'm also a very fast talker. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't help it. I, I hear you. And we get excited about a lot of things. So um, we're working on it. And Potato, I got to say, you do usually sound, you sound great in the final product. I am always afraid I sound too quick or very tinny. And we're trying to adjust that as we go. Yeah, hopefully we get to perfecting in. That would be when we have, you know, enough listeners to really make this thing pop off. It would be great. For sure. And it's it's funny, too, because I was watching a YouTube video. Somebody was just getting started on D&D content recently. And his YouTube intro is phenomenal. His video quality is abysmal. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't make fun of him for it. I know how he's, he's getting started. He doesn't have all the equipment that he wants. He's still kind of learning his way through it. And I looked at it and I'm like, it's, it's funny because not because it's humorous, but because we're still in that same spot getting better every day. That's right. That's right. I, I think we definitely are in the, in the same, same boat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we are on the rise. <laughs> we, uh, we wanted to talk about a little bit of things today that both are, Paizo Pathfinder and Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons. Um, one thing I'm thinking about right now that'd be nice to mention as well is there have been a lot of conversations in some of the groups I'm a part of about why there's still an odd fascination or uh, love for the TSR old school versions of Dungeons and Dragons. And it seems like a lot of newer people really want to ignore those because there's such a stigmatism about them and there are rules for a lot of culturally and socially unacceptable things 
as well as the history of some of the more notable players and even Gary Gygax himself really doesn't have that social construct parameters that we have today. So it leads into the idea of also talking about how things are portrayed for this hobby in media and pop culture now. Is it something that's going to become more acceptable or portrayed better? Is it still just nerds in the dungeon that we make fun of? Yeah, I, I generally feel that uh, it has blown up. Um, I think we have uh, a tallied 4 million people that are playing D&D 5e right now. So that, that's very, that is a lot. That is uh, exceptional. Um, I feel when it comes to the mainstream media, um, I'll, I'll even go as far as say uh, Hollywoodism. It mm-hmm. is growing even amongst like the celebrities and whatnot. I know there's dozens of them that play, um, play together even. So I, I think it's it's becoming more of a limelight, uh, more publicly accepted and universal hobby. Whereas before it was like small group of the big glasses nerds with the pocket protector of the pens. That's how it was always right. portrayed back then. And I like right. how it's changed. I like how it's gotten better. But I feel like right now, not to be controversial, but it's already tipping over to an area that I don't want it to tip over into as well. What do you, what do you mean? The, it, it's the uh, PC social justice kind of thing. I, I don't like how it has to be now a certain way to, for it to be accepted. I just don't know why it can't just be accepted and, oh, you know, so brought up as is not being said sort of deal so it sounds like one of those things that you're kind of alluding to here is that it's not necessarily the rules but the culture today's society today's uh, social culture is starting to adopt it and they're being very vocal about the changes that they want to include and the people that they want to have at their table yeah and i i understand i mean you and I both have a different mentality about a lot of this where um, we don't think certain things need to be said. And when we say that, it's because we already feel inclusive. We don't feel like we need to um, constantly talk about potential trigger warnings. We think that being respectful is already right there at the top of the list. And yes. <clears throat> when somebody feels the need to say I don't put up with anything of this nature or this nature or this nature. And I don't accept anything that deals with these topics. Even though we feel that that should just be standard, we feel off put by somebody who comes out and says it particularly because we don't think it needs to be said. Yeah. So it kind of, excuse me, I know where we sit on that and I, I understand it. What I like to see though, is the popular TV shows, I'll use Stranger Things for an example, because it had such a a huge following for the show itself, and it features kids who regularly play tabletop games, Dungeons and Dragons specifically. And we like to see how it's being portrayed more positively versus those individuals who are picked on and they use it as an escapism to just sort of deal with their own life and some of their downfalls and <clears throat> Um, portrayed negatively because that is the stigmatism that it had on it. I mean, in the 80s, we still had what they called the satanic panic. Over That's the right. Yeah. To now finally be pulling out of that uh, what, about 30, 35 years later? It's it's really a good thing to see and I'm really happy to happy to be a part of the community that's trying to build this and still be inclusive without being off-putting i'd like to see more of that we have things like critical role who are literally a bunch of professional voice actors who are nerds they're still popular they're still liked and this nerd content is really growing to become more popular oh yeah i would actually i'd actually have to say that it has to do with uh the marvel cinematic universe that really started changing the entirety of the nerd culture around I think so as well. I think that was definitely a big hand into um, bringing in this 
influx of uh new generational audience that really soared um content consumption and the love of all these hobbies yeah and i I think it's great i don't think that we have anything to fault for it i think it's actually our responsibility as enthusiasts of this hobby and content creators who are voices in the community to really help build that positive image you know yeah we we hear about absolutely we we hear about athletes who play and we hear about celebrities movie stars news anchors talk show hosts who get together regularly to play and while we don't always get details on how the games go down um they're being more open and vocal about them playing and it's not your typical nerd it's not your typical uh, pocket protector thick rimmed glasses um, no you, you got you got the on. big show that plays yeah yeah, yeah. Th- th- like that's cool <laughs> it is and it's it's one of those things that i think is really helping bring out the community and it's something i want to see continue to improve in a positive in a positive way yeah. and the reason i bring this up is because i recently came across a facebook post where somebody was talking about a sneak attack and if they could do it with a bow <laughs> and it brought me to an old indie movie by the dead gentleman productions called the gamers and the scene in there is how he wants to sneak attack with a ballista yeah <laughs> beautiful and scene. i i love the film and i love the scene i found the clip and that's what i responded with and we know facebook is moving 24 7 yeah but nobody's replied to my comment and i'm afraid it either shows the fact that i've been a nerd for way too long and i'm now pulling references from before people's time or <laughs> like a the, mom the joke media, <laughs> right or or like the media doesn't stand up to uh, the culture today and I'm, I'm really just hoping that it didn't go missed because i have it in our campaigns where my pop culture references go missed all the time yeah yeah i, I think it very well is that they're either not in the mindset to catch it or especially for facebook there's probably just a lot of scrolling comments and you can only can see so much who knows what you should do is just spam it just keep keep posting it until something happens no (laughs) no i'd be canceled at that point Um, (laughs) oh yeah canceled yeah you would as as uh as popular media culture is changing our views it really really allows us to talk about something i didn't think i would see immediately and we wanted we definitely wanted to talk about this we both agreed on it and that was paizo changing some of their views aka content for this transition um from a pathfinder specific game to the pathfinder setting in 5e and it's actually big news oh it is for sure they are uh converting uh, one of their most popular adventure paths over to right. 5e, and that's awesome. Yeah, that was their second edition Abomination Vaults. Um, and they're expecting to have it released in October of 2022. Which is actually so, fairly soon when you think about it. Still within that. this year. Yeah, but we're just getting out of winter, and October is just before our winter. <laughs> uh, you're you're omitting summer man and i really can't do that uh, i'm being optimistic because usually they push us to the whole year after you know usually they they push it fairly far and having it being within this year even though it's late in this year it's still in this year so that's a plus for me that is true that is true and um so i actually came across this little bit of news because somebody was saying that they felt it was Paizo's uh, attempt to kind of stay a little bit more relevant. No, I think that's, I, I can't, I, I see it as being uh, much different than that. Okay, what's your take on it? Because I don't have a full take. Be- because, well, to, to start it off, 
um kind of kind of backtracky here a little bit when wizards of the coast migrated to uh institute their fourth edition um that's when paizo kind of stepped in and made pathfinder basically it's dnd 3.75 yeah and i remember uh hearing a story of somebody that was at one of the gen cons um the year that fourth edition came out, all these tables were playing fourth edition. And then the next con, all of them were replaced by Pathfinder. It became a big, huge, heavy hitter and contestant to Wizards of the Coast. And mm-hmm. that's when they did 5e. 5e wasn't as much of, oh, we want to make a new system. It was more like a response to Pathfinder and to make yeah. a one and done system which they've definitely excelled at it's debatably the best addition that they've made um so far and they're not going to make a new edition anytime soon i i don't know if best would be the best word to describe it i think it is the lowest bar of entry the easiest to understand and the absolute most welcoming to new players uh, i guess it'd be the why? most viable i can use that I can, I can agree with viable because it's the world's largest tabletop rpg game it does have the most members and it is the one that so many more familiar with yeah and and with 5e exploding the way it did it made pathfinder become more of the uh specialist players niche it wasn't as much of the uh common market you know if you want to split it into a, a margin it's like before pathfinder was able to take up 40 percent of the table now they're taking like 20 percent of it and they're not like you know (laughs) losing profits or anything like that they're still very successful and then 2e came out comparatively when you look at the timeline of the products 2e is more successful than first edition but still isn't as successful as fifth edition and And what 2e did is made a more smaller group of specialists it wasn't a big boom like fifth fifth ed. People still want to play first E over second E or two E. It's weird saying second E. Um, yeah. and, and what what this caused is caused Paizo to be a bit more out branching. Not not to take in the five E money that I've heard some people say. It's to try to get more people to net in and be like, hey, playing this on 5e rules is fun i really like the adventure path what other content does pathfinder have like this is pretty good you know and that kind of bleeds in and get more people on their side and it's all just a win-win situation it's not uh, a hostile takeover in any sense you're not going to see wizard coast just engulfing paizo you're not going to see paizo just you know for foregoing all of their content over what they're going to do is just con- convert what people want to be converted and just have fun doing it and really just trying to be more camaraderie that's that's why i see it. it's more uh cooperation not cooperation <laughs> sure and i i can really agree with with that outlook and as you had stated how the switch from three five to four is what branched off and we developed paizo developed pathfinder and 3.75, I completely agree with. Fifth edition was a response to lower the bar, a less crunchy game, one with less numbers, less math, and harder to play the system, easier to play the game. Anybody who knows Pathfinder knows that it's very easy to play the system versus actually play the game. Your your rules can be doubled down to the point where min-maxing is incredibly easy. You have overpowered characters off the bat, even at level, your stats can be completely ridiculous. So the response to have a system that was easier to understand, easier to play with more of a direct line of actions really helped bring that in. It feels like second edition Pathfinder was almost a response to fifth edition's Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, while still not as popular as D&D, we're still looking at a, a widely successful, hugely popular game. And the adventure path that they want to bring over, their, um, excuse me, 
The Abomination Vault? Yes, there it is. I, I just had it on the tip of my tongue, too, and because I wanted to say this. Um, their Abomination Vaults came from 2nd Edition, and it feels like, similarly, they're not doing it to get into 5e like a money grab. It feels like they're trying to help pull people back into Pathfinder a little bit. Um, which which I dig, I think is cool, because it's one way to expand the community into a larger group of players who have a versatile knowledge of these games. I think That's it's right. way more entertaining when somebody knows multiple game systems versus just one. And <clears throat> it's actually funny because a lot of polls that have floated around, most people don't completely read the DMGs, most people don't completely read the players' handbooks, so we no. have these players and fans who still don't have a full grasp of all of the rules. I'm not saying that you have to. I mean, you have to have a vague understanding. <laughs> but Right. Um, I, I so know how to play, but I don't know the nuances. <laughs> right, or vice versa. Some people know the nuances, but they don't know um, the general play. They've, they've got a lot of this knowledge through experience, but their experience is so developed in a certain narrow field that the entire aspect can kind of lose them. Right. And I think what people have really been seeing as a difference between the two, especially 5th edition and 1st edition Pathfinder, is that those who really like a lot of the rules for everything that you could possibly do gear towards Pathfinder 1st edition because there are rules to include in everything. Yeah. Fifth edition really simplified a lot of it down to DM choice, and that's true too. I mean, it, it's a good thing, but it also can be an hindrance, right? And it's it's acceptable. It, there are a lot of times that even with a bunch of rules, you still just default to DM's choice. That's true. Easy. Um, when you read a book where they really have that kind of built in, for those who come from heavier rules, it feels lighter easier and i don't i don't think dumbed down is the best way to describe it but it does feel like it was reduced to the most common denominator for a majority of players <clears throat> right um, which makes it really interesting to bring this second edition pathfinder uh, adventure path into dungeons and dragons and for those of you guys who are not super familiar with a lot of this content or excited about it, because being a huge Pathfinder fan and a fan of their modules, I'm excited to see it in 5th edition. It says, When the mysterious, gauntlet, and eerie, landlocked lighthouse glows with baleful light, the people of Kari know something terrible is beginning. Evil stirs in the depths of the abomination vaults, a sprawling dungeon where wicked sorcerer attempts to raise an army of monsters hundreds of years ago. The town's newest heroes must venture into a sprawling dungeon filled with the beasts and traps that prevent a spiteful spellcaster from rising again. This complete compilation of the original Adventure Path campaign has been adapted to the newest version of the world's oldest RPG. You've heard about the quality and depth of Pathfinder campaigns for years. Now explore the Abomination Vaults yourself without having to learn a new game system. Yeah, very, very well put. It makes me want to play Abomination Vaults right now, you know? Right. And. You know, it's it's one of those things where, as we were just talking about it, the last the last line is explore the abomination vault yourself without having to learn a new game system. I think this shows a semi mature response from Pathfinder and Paizo itself. Oh, it definitely. Says, says, "Hey, we are here. You guys love this content, but." you feel locked out of it because it's in a system you're not familiar with. It's a little harder to learn and we acknowledge that. So we're going to help bring it over to something you are familiar with and you do know. Right. We do know that there's a lot of like fan-made conversions. People are trying to convert this to that and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is just hooking you up with something more prim and polish and a physical copy, not just, you know, some chicken scratch or a PDF you know, made in Google Docs or something like that. Right. Um, I, I, I definitely applaud them. I give them mad props. I think these guys are very professional, and I can't wait for more things to convert. And I would love to see is uh, Wizards of Coast doing the same thing, 
having some of their venture paths or what do they call their do they call their their side adventure paths or just adventures no they're adventures campaigns and modules yeah i want i want i want which is a coast to convert a, a campaign over to pathfinder rule set you know kind of kind of bridging that gap even further because i know and, that people have the same mindset there. like i want to play that adventure right there but i can't because i don't want to learn fifth ed <laughs> right and as, as much as i'd like to see that it actually feels like a bigger bridge to gap for watsi to go over to paizo and to release content and we can actually bridge that transition really easily to the next thing we want to talk about um but before we do because we've mentioned the abomination vaults i think that we should include the content warning that paizo includes um, because it's and it, it's important it's something that we've talked about before when it comes to consent of what you find okay and acceptable in games oh that's right so, a little disclaimer so those who, yeah and those who want to check out the abomination vaults or those whether it's for second edition pathfinder or fifth edition D, it does say content warning is while abomination vaults contains typical pathfinder action and adventure. It also presents themes of suicide, ableism, body horror, and human experimentation. Before you begin, understand that player consent, including that of the game master, is vital to safe and fun play experience for everyone. You should talk to your players before beginning the adventure and modify descriptions or scenarios as appropriate. Beautifully well put, too. Very Absolutely. concise. And it's not something I have seen in other Pathfinder content. So I don't generally go looking for it, but I do like that it is visible, easily visible. It's there. Um, and then the pre-order for this is expected in October of 2022, like we mentioned. So hopefully that helps get people into a little bit of at least some of the Pathfinder lore. And now to bridge that gap between what we were talking about, we mentioned this quite a while ago and we were both excited to see what was going to come of it. And that was... Pathfinder Infinite. That's right, dude. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Pathfinder Intimate, excuse me, I want to say Intimate. Pathfinder Intimate. I mean, the new, <laughs> the new campaign, Pathfinder oh. Intimate. <laughs> yeah. So bring your Pathfinder. fuzzy dice. <laughs> Pathfinder <laughs> Infinite allows the community of fans to produce, publish, and make profit from Pathfinder's intellectual property. So we can use Pathfinder, some of their monsters, their worlds, their characters to create fiction, campaigns, classes, races, kind of everything that you need in order to uh, put this out. And Pathfinder Infinite also is including Starfinder. Infinite. That's right. So you have the community to create both of these, which it allows Wizards of the Coast to essentially use Pathfinder as Pathfinder to create content for Pathfinder. If they That'd were be so amazing. Astute. Right. I think it'd be, be really neat. If they had a an account with um, one of the head developers of Wizards of Coast name, people in NC will recognize that name. Like, oh, well, what's he doing on Infinite? What's he making? Oh, look at all this right. stuff he's making here. Sweet. Gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> right. Right. So looking through Pathfinder Infinite, I know that we talked about using this platform to create certain things specifically for Pathfinder under Epic Table Games, yes. which is still totally possible. It's something that we can do, but we've been working on a separate system just in the meantime yeah i, 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 I want to learn more about the infinite's uh, guidelines and i'll definitely would love to start making content and basically put what i've been having in my head and in my books onto this not even as a way to publish what i have in my head but as a way to organize what i have in my head a bit better too yeah <laughs> i was thinking about getting world anvil but it's been such a daunting thing. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hear you. So looking at the uh, Pathfinder Infinite community, 
content creator questions kind of getting started. Uh, one of the things that you definitely have to look at is the clarification on Pathfinder Infinite versus the open gaming license and Paizo's community use policy, along with their Pathfinder compa uh, compatibility license, etc. So that will help determine how you go about creating specific content, along with the guidelines of what is allowed and disallowed content from the Lost Omens setting. So this is primarily geared towards the Lost Omens setting, but it is open to both first edition and second edition information. Obviously, you have your required logos, guidelines on branding, rules on cartography, and stock art packs, other important guidelines that deal with the art side of that, and how payment works, queries about uh, crowdfunding, how to donate proceeds, etc. Um, so it's kind of the, the first step in individuals creating the content for this. This is where you're going to start. That's and right. I, I like it. And I also think it plays into what we had talked about previously about on the the blog itself about third party content. Yeah. So while a lot of this is technically considered published and compatible, is it still third party? And is it balanced with the entirety of the rest of the game? <laughs> uh, balance, that's only dependent on how much work the uh, publisher put into trying to make it balanced. Other than that, it can be as unbalanced as it can, and it's up to you to tweak it as you see fit, really. Um, let, let's say they publish a, a, a new class, and you go through the class, you make your character, and you realize, you know what, this guy is very over, overpowered. It's up to you, especially the DM of the, of the situation, to kind of rein it in if you really wanted to um kind of kind of with the other third party i think balancing is the least of the worries i think it's more about what you're actually getting out of it i i can see that and i know that we talked about balance before and <clears throat> it's really the dm's discretion and ability to determine what is and is not balanced so right having that flavor there works excuse me i'm a little sleepy still but <laughs> you don't want something that has an overpowered effect that you feel like needs to be contained by some way I, i'm hesitant to use the word nerfed but well to be contained. It, uh, here, here's the thing um super smash bros you know how they fix their broken, overpowered characters? They just don't allow them in tournaments? No, not even that. They just make more broken characters. <laughs> so once <laughs> like, it's broken, like it's it, going to break it some more. Right. If, if all the characters are overpowered and broken, then none of them are. <laughs> that's their mindset. Right. <laughs> Honestly, that's how it feels in other games, too. Um, but <clears throat> what if, for example you decide to make a class for this. And one of the class abilities is something ridiculous. Like you can use this 20 times a day and it you instantly destroy whatever monsters in front of you so long as it's it has more hit dice than you do. You know? <laughs> that, how are you gonna how are you gonna balance that? Because you can't have a threat that's generally less hit dice. <laughs> true, true. And, unless, unless you have unless a, whore. a lot of right right <laughs> so there obviously there are things that that you could do and say just to be a jerk now but, within their guidelines they probably have some restraints because you know not gonna lie your example of a class that is very overpowered not gonna lie so who yeah. knows yeah and it's it is designed it was designed that way for just for just for the example <clears throat> So those those are the kind of things that I look out for. And I want to look at both more content from the Pathfinder Infinite collection. And what I'd also like to see is things that are free to download just to sort of check out. They have things that are available that cost $0, which is cool. 
Um, a lot of it looks like it's artwork and whatnot. But it's something to kind of get a grip on. And what I do like about that is anything that's presented for free is a good way to kind of get a grip or feel for what's going on, at least in a sense of potential quality and compatibilities. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it, it's a way to help you get your toes in the water and kind of garner that enthusiasm that you need to then really get deep into it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, what I also like, and this is kind of separate, is there was a link floating around. And you know when you're looking at some of the community information they'll look super official but it's still fan made yeah uh somebody had created a link to um hold on i i got something going on let me just green pod i don't mean to interrupt you with that i'm i mentioned that last night something came up and Excuse me. It, while it's something I can't talk about, I just uh, just got a little bit of information on it. I wanted to make sure to save that. Ah, okay. So, um, anyhow, honestly, bro, I totally forgot where I was at. You that were talking about um, uh, this fan-made um, content. Oh, you created a link. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's actually why I pulled out one of my devices here. And... I helped. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it. So what it is, is an entire web-based app <coughs> where you can put in information and photos, and it styles it just like the pages from one of your D&D books. Ooh, that's cool. It is really neat. And because we like to share things that we find in the community, I'd like to put it up on EpicTableGames.com. We'll talk about it a little bit there. Oh yeah, definitely put it up there because I definitely want to get into that and see see how good that looks. I'm really really excited for that. That's awesome. Absolutely, and you know what else that means, right? Please say what. Please, please say don't know. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> what it means is when you have a character spotlight. That's you right. Actually, make it look like an official page. That would be legit. Absolutely. And if I remember correctly, you actually have a character spotlight for us today. I do, I do. It's the long-awaited mock build that I've been planning on doing. Now, is so, this the one that I was trying to guess last week? Yeah, you're trying to guess it, and you're, you kind of guessed my other ideas. This one is, is completely, uh, what do you, what, what would be the term? Uh, Ooh, I forget it. Um, <laughs> you're not, you're not, you will never be able to guess this guy. Um, I did say before that he is a a main, not main character, but a very popular, iconic character in a fighting game. So you you expect the way he fights is in a certain style. Wait, let me guess. Go ahead. King, dead or alive? No. I thought you were going to say King from Tekken. I'm like, that's a neat idea, but no. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking about King from Tekken. All right. The Jaguar guy? One. Yeah, I haven't played either one of the games for so long. I'm get, I get the characters mixed up. <laughs> <clears throat> no, it's, it is a, uh, it's Valdo. Okay. Caliber. Dude, I, I love that character. He's so weird and creepy. Dude, I love him. I love him to bits. He, he he's, a, he's a great guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, you told me a little bit about this character, and I want to hear kind of, especially the highlights. Yeah, uh, I kind of want to talk to the the listeners a little bit here about my my main process here and how I had to switch gears. Um, because when you decide to make a mock build and you want to make you know a a reference character, you have to figure out the key elements that make that character and try to emulate it, right? Yeah. Now, now, before we, I know that you've you've mentioned that this character is based off of Baldo. Yes. Um, 
<clears throat> whereas some people may not be familiar with the character, I'd like to kind of give an example of what that also means for characters, a character they do understand. All right. So I'm going to use Batman, for example, because everybody's familiar with Batman. And when you say capture the essence, that means you kind of have to think about what this character represents. So in Batman's case, we'd be looking at things like justice, dark and broody, and maybe a little bit more flavor descriptors, where when you describe it, it sounds like the character without explicitly naming the character. That's right. That's right. And, and that, that's the key thing, too, with the mock builds. Is that you're leaning more on flavoring up uh, certain mechanics of your character build. Um, it's still going to be, you know, rules as written. You're just going to call it something else or describe mm -hmm. it as doing something else. Um, and that's fine, especially with DM discretion. You know, that's that's fine. But yeah, mm -hmm. it, it is that you, you have to pick certain elements that you want to emulate. And that's how you kind of get in your head that you can role play with this character now. You're playing as, you know, the embodiment of X character with Y abilities. Right. Now, the the issue that I hit more, more than a few times making mock builds is that I decide on a character that has a few elements that are very wide ranging in the sense that okay. I have to go with one or the other. Sure. And then when you focus on one and then you make the character and you look and you kind of step back and you look at it and realize that you've lost the connection to the character and you have to restart going with the other elements, essentially. That's what I had to do here. Sure. Now, as you're talking about how you're essentially hyper-focusing on one of these elements versus the other, um, you can really see that you run into the same potential problem when you hyper-focus on either element. But yet, sometimes it's not feasible to do both elements even slightly. So right. that means that as you're creating a mock build, you do have to look at what aspect of this character is not only viable for the build, but which as which viable aspect is more appropriate for the character's essence himself. That's right. That's right. And if, if you pull off the mock build and you love it to bits, anything is perfect, but it's not optimized. So be it, you know, have right. fun. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to optimize everything despite what I do exactly exactly um yeah i went with a a build at first that leaned into having a full attack that led into a grab and then basically being able to attack with both hands in the grab and not not like my luchador where it's just grappling grappling punish punish pin move you over here move over there it's more like grab we're gonna stay put until you're dead <laughs> Get the next guy, okay. grab, stay put till you're dead. And okay. as much as I was liking it, it didn't feel like Valdo enough to me. Because sure, in the game, he might have an attack that grabs the guy, he's like on top of him, but that's not his main shtick. So right. I, I switched gears, I did a whole different thing. Um, so for, for those who may not know Valdo, let me, let me describe a little bit about him and talk about some of the the neat things about him, and then we can talk about the character build. Um, in, in the Soul Calibur games, Valdo is the protector of the money pit, an area um, capitalized by a merchant of the death known as Versi. Um, he collected all these artifacts and str strange, strong weapons that he would supply to the Spanish Armada and this and that. And it was actually the uh, the home of Soul Edge itself for some odd years until mm -hmm. Nightmare came over and took it. No, not Nightmare, sorry. Cervantes. Until Cervantes came over and took Soul Edge. And Valdo's key um, task in the whole series is to retrieve Soul Edge, bring it back to the money pit, and then further protect the money pit until he's dead sort of thing. Okay. Um. In the games, he's also been known as the Hell Guardian, which is kind of fitting with his getup. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a, of a Hellraiser character. Yeah, a little bit. Um, 
Let's see. Do, 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 do. His, uh, his design elements was also um, kind of taken from elements of uh, Carl Cronin in the Hellboy universe. If that helps really? anybody get a description. Um, sure. And now, in general, when people see Valdo, what they're really seeing is a uh, what kind of looks like a gaunt, stretched, dead skin, no lips figure who's bound in some form of clothing. Also wears something over his head that essentially eliminates his ability to see. Yeah, he, he has no sight, he has no vocal cords, so he only hisses and growls. Um, he usually wears get-up that is... BDSM-looking. BDSM-like, all the way ranging to, like, straight-up spider uh, costume or a mm-hmm. jester costume. I really like the right. jester costume. It's pretty legit. Right. So um, now, now that we've got these thematic elements down, how did you really translate his abilities from the game to your tabletop version right um in the game he uses uh his main weapon is a guitar which is a uh indian like punching dagger sort of setup Mm -hmm. um in the game there's also multiple different weapons you can choose but with the same fighting style um i decided to go with the uh scissor the uh gladiator um bladed gauntlet sort of deal That's the one that essentially looks like a the blade of a sickle or a rounded axe blade on top of a handle that you essentially put your hand in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went with that for the Pathfinder setup only because it fit <clears throat> him a bit more. It was more damage. And also, I like the guillotine weapon in the game more, which is basically the same thing. So I, I just kind of went with my gut there. Sure. Um, but he is a slayer with a little dip in monk. Okay. Now, the Slayer a bit, the Slayer allows for a better progression of your base attack bonus, if I remember correctly. That's right. And your Monk is more dexterous, but you have the Flurry of Blows, which you can do with a light weapon, and anything like this, the, uh, the Scissor is considered a light melee weapon, if I remember correctly. Well, it, it, it would, but I only did a two-level dip in Monk, so he does not get Flurry of Blows, sadly. Okay, he doesn't so need it. Actually, okay, so you <laughs> actually took this dip for something else. What did you take the dip in Monk for? Uh, I took the dip in Monk for the archetype Master of Many Styles. And with that, I took Monkey Style and Monkey Moves. What it essentially does is allow him to achieve uh, no penalties while I'm prone and to actually be proficient in attacking while I'm prone. Okay, so... Essentially, this would mean prone, you fall to the ground, he can roll, uh, army crawl, he can still have form of movement and attack. That's right. He can move at half his speed, he can do a five-foot step, he doesn't incur tax opportunity from getting up, and he can do a full round attack while prone. Okay. So that is really when you think of this character's movement in the video game, very similar to how he does spend a lot of time on the floor. He will roll, he will move, he will crawl. That's right. You can always, yeah, when the crawling, it's like that, that, that backwards crawling that he does, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very iconic because he is like a contortionist. So you can always flavor what he's doing. And that definitely works out for him. I think. Absolutely. So, so we know that we got the monk for the movement. How did we use Slayer to really get the flavor of his attack? and his uh essentially his performance right right so i decided to do wield the scissors because the scissors mm-hmm. is generally one weapon so yep. of course gotta get gear natural two weapon feats in there um which is great now, because i was able to use the slayer talents to get all those feats for free okay so the talents allowed you to fill in those feats because what we're talking about, if you weren't able to do that, is essentially a feat tax. Yeah, and that's usually what it would be. And the easiest way to pay that would have been had you been a fighter. Right. So um, was the draw to the Slayer aspect really primarily the ability to get the feats for free, or is there something that drew you into Slayer 
um, that matched flavor better. What drew me into Slayer more was the study target and the sneak attack um, aspect, actually. Um, I wanted to get Blood Reader because I felt Blood Reader was a very meta way of like seeing the health bar like you would in the game. But ultimately, sure. I, I couldn't fit it. I mean, if I want to go <laughs> farther in the level progression, you could. But at that point, why even have it? Um, right. Now, where did we stop for level on this build? Uh, I stopped at level 15. I, I okay. wanted to go to 20 again, but gosh, going, going all the way to 20 is so mind-melding. <laughs> it is. Going so to much. 20 is, it, it is a, it's a big project, and uh, it's definitely easier to understand when you're doing one level at a time over a period of time versus trying to coordinate 20 levels at one time because what you're essentially doing at that point is trying to... Um, min-max your character without min-maxing your character because as of right now this character doesn't have a story to go to so you're trying to optimize them to some degree right right and Versus honestly with all these absolutely. builds i usually build them up as how is he going to do in a one-on-one fight i never think of mm-hmm. like how is the party makeup how's the story <laughs> so right. it's, it's a different way of thinking because i usually don't build that way right and i think that's absolutely acceptable to say hey, I want to make a character, and I don't give a shit what the party is going to do. This is what I'm going to play. I think that's okay. Right. Um, oh, for sure. Have personal, fun. That's a personal choice. So, uh, of course, getting um, combat expertise, um, the two-weapon fighting and whatnot, what mm-hmm. I decided to go with as well, because of the sneak attack aspect, I really want to lock those in. So, with Dazzling Display, Shattered Defenses, and two weapon faint all gives you an ability to demoralize and deny them of dexterity and get sneak attack every time every round you basically would forego one one attack out of your full round attack be your first attack so it's your highest attack bonus which does suck but then if you if you get them deny his dexterity and whatnot then all the rest of the attacks get sneak attack damage and by the time you're level 15, he has six attacks, three in both hands. Okay. Now, still, we know that we have our two-weapon fighting to reduce penalties of second attacks, offhand attacks. That's right. Um, and one of the questions I have is the sneak attack ability, that is specifically from the rogue sneak attack. And if I remember correctly, Slayer is a, uh, a part rogue class. Yeah, a rogue ranger. And so it allows you to take certain feats that modify sneak attack. Yeah. Uh, sadly, I did not grab anything that modified sneak attack other than Hunter's Surprise. And what that does is once a day, you ignore all prerequisites to get sneak attack. So in that one instance of full round, all of it is sneak attack damage. Sure. And and while while it's fitting, there are other things that you could do, such as, um, I forgot the exact name of it, but it also seems fitting for the character where you could, when you charge into combat, you can get sneak attack damage if you charge. Yeah, yeah, I, I was looking into that. Um, I decided against it only because I had to get a couple feats that couldn't fit to make that work. Sure. And because and it's sense. one thing like you can charge, but it's another thing to be proficient in charging. You know what I mean? Right. I do. And again, this is this goes back to what we were talking about: how you really have to decide if a certain flavor pays off in the end. Because we mentioned the feat tax. It's right there. You That's can't right. always cram everything into a character build because we're essentially taking two different rules and making a character from one of those rules into another. Yeah. Like like the sneak attack charge. You still provoke an attack opportunity if you don't get improved charge. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of defeats the purpose if they keep hitting you. and like, well, I can't get the sneak attack now. My guy's broken. <laughs> right. Um, it's one of those things. But uh, he also has um, an unbalancing trick. So 
what it, what it does is that it gives him improved trip for free. Okay. So, so uh, I was thinking after is, a successful attack, he can make a trip attempt. That's right. I was thinking while he's prone, I mean, definitely in the game, I used to do that all the time with any character. I always like keep him on the ground, you know, keep, keep him mm-hmm. knocked over. You're going to win. So that was kind of what I was thinking there. Um, tripping strike allows you to um, get a higher proficiency. And when you score a crit, you can make a trip attempt for free. And if I remember correctly, if I read this, yeah, if if you if your attack is above the CMD by X amount, they'll knock them prone and they'll drop their weapon and, you know, a couple other things, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got double slice, which allows him to have full strength on his offhand weapon because usually it's half strength. Yes. So kind of kind of curb that little uh, nick there. The very last thing is two weapon rend. If you hit an opponent with both your primary and your offhand weapon, you deal an additional one d ten points of damage plus one and a half times your strength modifier. And you can do that each round. Nice. Nice. So, now- so yeah, he's he's proficient in just slicing and dicing, man, with those uh, hand blades. Yeah, I like that, and it does seem to fit. Um, you do have you do have the flavor there. You have some of the key elements that you really touched on, and I like that. It does seem to track well. Yeah, uh, you you want to build up uh, strength and charisma, mm-hmm. um, and you want to beef up your acrobatics and your bluff because with the high enough acrobatics, you can roll a d twenty, not d twenty, a dc twenty acrobatics check to get up from prone as a swift action. So that means you can get up and still do something like, you right. know, trip them or grab them, um, right. something like that. I wanted to institute the grab because uh, from the last build, I really liked what was going on there. But again, it was one of those things. It just was too much to do, too much to fit yeah. in. Yeah. And when you start pulling some of the features that you build a, a character around into other builds, they start to feel the same. So Right. This allows a fresh character, a fresh take, and it's one of the important aspects of really just making a new character every time. Otherwise, you get into what I like to call Thal Syndrome, where they're all about the same character. <laughs> right, right. It's the same character, but just a little bit of a different look. That's about it. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, that also happens when you become so good at making one character. You know, It's just cause and effect at that point. I do that all the time in video games. Like I play in a certain way, and this is how I'm always going to build them because it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry that I found my calling. <laughs> right, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, when is your hope to get this up on EpicTableGames.com? As soon as possible. That's all I'm going to say. As soon as possible. All right, and now um, because we changed the format of how that that post looks, uh, you kind of have to get familiar with the new backend system. That's true. I gotta get familiar with the back end, and now with this new, uh, uh, what what was it called? A, like a template from that yeah, uh, a... the fan made guy. If I yeah. can get that instituted as well, ooh, mm, icing on the cake. Right. So I'll actually send that to you. We'll post it on the website. Um, and otherwise, we're gonna do this again next week, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, if, if you guys didn't catch it, that is Valdo, the guy who is prone and able to trip. And able to dish out mad sneak attack damage with uh, fainting maneuvers and whatnot. He's going to deny your decks. He's going to mess you up, hissing along the way. Nice. All right, guys. <laughs> thanks for checking us out today. Uh, you can always check us out online at epictablegames.com or facebook.com slash epictablegames. Join our public group in the discussion. Um, thanks for tuning in. Peace. show with the paladins of the podcast robin potato until next time stay in touch on facebook at epic table games and online at epictablegames.com yeah 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 yeah, yeah.